when, you know, looking at these tools with some level of skepticism, right? But then making sure that you're testing and really trying to enable and arm yourself with, hey, this is something that's going to enhance what I'm doing, right? So when I look at AI, I think the most obvious thing that a lot of people are using AI for is the content creation process. Welcome to the Marketing Leadership Podcast, brought to you by Dots Loves Marketing. Join your host, Dotsoyo Bulu, as he learns from CMOs, agency leaders, and business leaders about the state of performance marketing, plus insights on strategies, campaigns, and intelligence for commercial impact. Connect the dots and enjoy the latest episode. Hi, marketers. This is Dots, and welcome to the Marketing Leadership Podcast. With me here is Tala Malakian, CMO at Fonexa, where we will discuss exploring marketing amplification with emerging technology. Of course, the gist is about emerging technology and uh, I have a teaser for you if you don't know it already. So if you're ready, let's drop it. Tala, welcome. How are you doing? I'm good. How are you? I am good. It's a very sunny day as always here in Calgary and uh, yeah, I can't complain. See, I'm in LA, always got sun, so it's nice. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's good. Two lands of the rising sun is what I call it. So, yeah, so you want to start off by telling us about yourself, your background, your role, and how you've become literally what the title of this podcast is, a marketing leader. Yeah, so my journey is a windy one, maybe much like most people, right? I'm a chief marketing officer at Finexa. We're a performance marketing company that helps affiliate marketers, lead generators, and publishers track their partner and performance marketing campaigns. So we help with tracking calls, your leads, and your traffic from across all kinds of publishers and affiliates, and then your media buys as well. And so we've got eight products in one suite, and I currently manage our strong and mighty marketing team. Though my early part of my career was a little bit windy. I got my start in marketing at a small SEO and PPC agency. We were about eight people working with mom and pop shops, as well as franchised businesses that were looking for foot traffic. So a lot of where I got my start was in local SEO, local PPC. But then I went on to work at multiple other agencies. So I spent roughly eight to 10 years agency side. And I worked with all kinds of clients, probably the most notable being larger gaming and hardware companies. So one of the agencies, my clients included kind of Xbox and some of their gaming properties and included the Microsoft HoloLens, which I'd say was the first time that I was experiencing mixed reality every day, probably ahead of ahead of it being really something people were talking about. This was maybe 2014, 2015. The words existed, but it hadn't really manifested in terms of like any kind of mainstream adoption on VR and AR. It was before Pokemon Go and at the advent of Snapchat, right? And so you could have had this time where it was really coming into the ethos of culture, really. So after spending some time agency side, the last agency I was at, It was enterprise SaaS companies that were venture backed. And I loved that space. So I went on to work um, at two companies in Web3. So I went agency to in-house and I led marketing teams at both of those startups. So I helped bring NFTs for Nickelodeon and Care Bears and Hello Kitty to market for the first time and helped creators launch and market their projects. So along the way, with uh, Web3, it was obviously a very crazy few years. 
So I went back into enterprise SaaS and found myself at Finexa, and I'm really grateful to be here now. Yeah, uh, well, that's a very great journey. And I will be learning a lot from that journey as we get on with this episode here. But I would like to talk about your work with startups or high growth companies. And I know, so if you're listening here, we'll be using a lot of the the technical terms like multi-moment, nascent, and and things like that. So nascent being that you are at the beginning stages of your company, whether it's in the marketing space or just as a business and things are not as, I don't want to use the word up to date. Okay, I might use the word up to date, but things are not as optimized or mature as you, you you like it to be. And I think that's where you function. So do you want to tell us if there's one thing you will pick with companies building tech products in these kind of spaces where they are so nascent that a disruption is sometimes needed? What is that number one lesson that you think our listeners can take out of that side of your experience? Yeah, I, I think the one lesson would be if you're building a product that's maybe in a space that isn't fully formed, right? You're kind of uh, a leader in this emerging space. I'd say, don't assume the market gets it. Don't assume that the market you're serving understands how your product is going to work. And here's why I think this lesson is really important. And whenever you're in a nascent space, and I think of right Web3, when you when we use the word NFT as vernacular, when NFTs were starting to get more and more popular, the challenge with doing that was that people didn't know what NFT was. It was the name of the technology. But what they did understand was digital collectible as a term, right? I can understand what a collectible is. I can understand when that's digital. And so what's really important is that understanding that the space that you're in is not going to be familiar with the solution off the bat. And the more you can use language and vernacular that explains that with a reference point, you're more likely to create headway and create meaning and then also build trust. Because most people, when they're walking into a situation where they're adopting Mergic Tech, They're asking themselves, can I trust this company? And then can I trust this technology? Can I trust that they have my interests at heart outside of the problem that they're solving? And then lastly, it's sort of mitigating risk, right? The more your potential customers understand the problem and the solution and like a very simple, easy to understand, this is how I would tell my five-year-old what this is way, they lower the perceived risk is of adopting the product. And then the higher the likelihood where trust can be built. And so these are the barriers to entry that you have to think through. And it's almost like before you try to think about growth, you have to think about your positioning, right? And am I talking about the thing that I'm doing in a way that is actually relatable to the audience I'm trying to solve for? Mm, I like that. So I, I will consider myself in a similar situation. Podcast marketing is a completely new thing. Most of the things I am directly working with, of course, I say this with all grace, are things that have never been explored before at all. I was having a discussion with a client today and they were wondering if the guests sharing their own episodes on the guests' social media was a good or a bad idea. I'm like, man, that's a no-brainer. Like, you're a guest. Tala, you want to share this episode on YouTube? I, I don't have to think about that. So that realization came to me that I think it's important to educate people on why that is important. And there's a, there was a lot of education in terms of how do we f- 
measure clicks from their side to our side and and i have to tell them it's not about the clicks it's just the brand awareness and the fact that yeah it's been heard from a third party brings in more value than any click you might want and, and things like that so i i i get you I, and i guess just to add to what you're saying there is a lot of responsibility on startups in the nascent space to do a lot of education right in podcast marketing there are always issues about what a download really is what an iab download is and we've had weeks of debates checking what iab is saying what podcast hostings are saying uh, so things like terminologies like you said the collectibles right how can we first even determine what this is and how can we express it in a way that people can then know that yeah this is a, this is a unique solution to a common problem love that approach and i think if you're listening whether you're into marketing or a business leader, I think it's important to always take that approach. Sometimes it's a little bit too much. Marketers can get too much. I'm not going to say any names here, but there are people in the B2B space that use terms like revenue OS and revenue software and revenue USB drives. And we are still talking about marketing. So it's, it's always good to balance everything. I must uh, add that caution as well. Yeah. And, you know, I think as marketers, I think I had posted about this a while ago, but I think it's our natural inclination to like name and rename everything. And I think and so I think there is certain like a psychology to that. Right. We're used to doing something in a new way and then naming that. And that's part of the process of category creation. It's like if I'm going to put my especially in a nascent space or in a space where you're really trying to differentiate like if I take these sets of terms and I use them to brand, right, to brand my thinking, my process, like the way that our company believes, like in that uh, strategic narrative building process, it's like a way to stamp that. Though I do agree, we have this tendency to be like, let's take something that exists and just put a new name on it, right? And I think that can be done badly or it can be done well, depending on what the company is, what their narrative is, right? All of that. But I tend to agree with you on the naming part. Yes. And I will stop on that subject before I start making fun of some uh, influencers, <laughs> you know? So, okay. So now to the topic, emerging technologies and amplifying your marketing through them. I wanted to start with a strategy before we look, explore some of the other creative ideas that people should be thinking about. And I would like to get from your experience, what does it look like from the campaign development process? You are creating demand generation at the beginning and at the end, you are expanding revenue with retention. How do you, how do you apply emerging tech to these kinds of marketing? Like what are some of those benefits or applications and how can that take us from where we are to where we want to be? from a marketing strategy or campaign development perspective? Yeah, I, I think so. It depends on the type of emerging technology you're applying and then how you're actually thinking about the influence of that technology on your overarching program. I look at different types of emerging technology being like right now, right, we're also like testing a lot of AI tools. We're trying out a lot of things. And with emerging tech, it's like oftentimes you don't have a fully formed iteration that's adopted. So a lot of what you have to do is pick like, how am I going to test how this makes me more efficient or how this how this actually gets placed into my overarching tech stack or what I do? And so I kind of look at it as like, when you know, looking at these tools with 
some level of skepticism, right? But then making sure that you're testing and um, really trying to enable and arm yourself with, hey, this is something that's going to enhance what I'm doing, right? So when I look at AI, I think the most obvious thing that um, a lot of people are using AI for is the content creation process. So everything from generating emails and written content to even just thinking about how you can take full-length videos and create social assets with AI or generate design, landing pages, cutdowns of videos, graphics, content, right? And there's so many different applications that even I'm using today where it's like, this is going to cut down my work by hours. So it's easier to use AI to generate, right? I think the second is a little bit harder potentially for marketer today, but I think we've seen it in different iterations. So we get it. And I think that's data analytics. So I think that AI is going to be applied to take large volumes of data and then help you understand customer behavior, preferences, market trends. You're already seeing Google who's promoting gen AI right now and really starting to market to marketing leaders when historically Google cloud has not really done that. And so so, and that's in a sense where Gen AI for marketers is really does enable uh, a lot of performance marketing automation in terms of the media buys you're doing, visualization of all that data. And I think that I'm definitely not currently using solutions on this particular piece, though I do, I do think we've experienced ways that AI can be used to optimize your campaigns, get bigger, analyze your data, et cetera. The last kind of benefit, I think, on the AI side is the automation of sort of the simple tasks, right? The most interesting use case that I found recently was actually this avatar, AI avatar company that essentially sends, creates kind of nurture sequences on your messaging flows on LinkedIn. And I was like, yeah, you probably don't need AI for that. But it was like a really interesting use case, right? Everything from prospecting to messaging, sending was like using this AI avatar, right? And so you're seeing iterations of that in terms of what I would have done manually is just getting faster. And and that frees up time to focus on kind of strategy and the more strategic components. And then I think when we look at some of the other technologies, it's like AR and VR and MR, all the R's, right? Like I think that you'll get interactivity of experience using AR and VR. So I think if you are a direct-to-consumer company, there's a lot of value in terms of product demonstrations, virtual experiences that kind of create customer and fan engagement. Whereas on the B2B side, you can use it actually for training and enablement, especially very visual types of working environments like manufacturing, supply chain, construction, right? And then lastly, the thing I'm excited about is the application of NFTs and blockchain. And that's the space that I worked in the longest, I'd say, in terms of emerging tech. But I get really excited about digital verification through blockchain and authenticity verification. So if I'm buying this Gucci bag, this Gucci bag is authentically verified on the blockchain. I don't have to worry whether it's fake. I don't have to worry about anything, right? And But then if you take that to the average creator, imagine the royalties and the monetization that the average person can leverage to build a life for themselves based on authentic content that belongs to them and the royalties that they get every time that IP is shared. And so I think that ecosystem is really going to evolve over the next um, 10 years and creator relationships are going to change as a result of that. 
I, I and of course we're going to explore some of this tech and I'm really excited about you talking about our web three, uh, which is what the final parts of your response was, because I have not really been so exposed to that. Uh, <clears throat> of course, podcasting in a way is an emerging tech, at least in terms of the purpose or the attention is getting right now. But you're right. I think some of the experiences that you shared there, again, we'll be going deep into some of them are great to use. What I would just add to what you said is that applying this responsibly is very important. So you, you spoke about chatbots, for example. There was a news recently that came out that says chatbot is able to figure out to some level of accuracy who you are based on the things you say that are not necessarily personal information, right? I was making a joke in the last episode about the way I talk. And if I were to talk to a GPT, I'm sure in five minutes, they will know I'm a very loud Nigerian because Nigerians are very loud, very talkative. So how you take that data, the responsibility, yes, that's a lot of power, right? And like they say in, in, in Spider-Man, the responsibility that follows that power is very important for us as marketers and is not crossing the line is very important, guys. It's important to stay true to your brand values as you use some of this. But of course, we will be diving deep into a few creative applications of some of these technologies. And of course, one of it is AI. AI, probably the news of the decade. Honestly, it's amazing what AI is doing. Like, I know there is this war between Google and Microsoft. I am a Google guy. I use a Chromebook although sometimes it's not very easy to use. I use an Android. I use all these things. The way they use generative AI is awesome. When you build art, for example, display art, they're able to blend the color of the image into the template, things like that. They're able to... So I use YouTube Music, again, Google guy. For every track that plays, the, I'm sure there's an AI behind it that generates a different color for the play and pause button, which when I saw it, I'm like, oh my God. Like, they, it's all... We are now truly in magic territory, basically. Every Houdini is back, but it's back with AI. Anyway, there are some applications of AI that I think people are not really thinking about. Internet of Things, most especially voice search, is one area of AI that we haven't really seen much movement on. Yeah, we still have these smart speakers, but I use smart speakers a lot in my car, and they are not as powerful, but I know they will be. Now there's AI. And then this new concept of the digital twin, or they call it the customer digital twin. I, I don't know if that's linked to the avatar you mentioned, but do you have any experience in the benefits of IoT and digital twins for marketers especially? What are some of the ways they can explore that to create some fun experiences? Yeah, so it's interesting because on IoT, there's like so many different applications. And I'll tell you about one of the clients that... I thought was that was in the IoT space that I thought was like a really Im very impactful use case. Though I do think with IoT for marketers specifically, the main benefit is the value of that data, right? So if you are a part of an IoT company, right, or and and you're essentially have all this data that is being collected, I think it's really like making sure that your marketing data is not in a silo from the data you're collecting from the device itself, right? So that's the huge benefit of actually having an IoT component to your offering if you do. I think, but the other things that I think you can use IoT devices for are, or uh, the use cases, it's, I'm not in retail, though I do know that you can use IoT to track foot traffic. You can an analyze which products are most popular. There is that level of 
data on actual foot traffic patterns and the ability to leverage that for marketing campaigns, SMS messaging, push notifications. I think the other, so like location-based targeting is important in that way. And that's one way that you can really capitalize on IoT devices today. So I'd say if you are in a business like that is location-specific, There are benefits today of looking at IoT device data to help implement data around how you should be marketing to consumers that are in that region. I'd say if we're talking about voice search, which you mentioned earlier, I think right the way people search is really changing. So with voice search specifically, it's like when someone has an Alexa device or any kind of device in their home that they're interacting with from a a voice perspective, You do have to think about SEO optimization as voice enabled optimization as well. So, right, whether that's blog posts where you have rich text markups and those are starting to come up as snippets that are optimized in Google search responses, all of those things are becoming a reality. So, I think the other thing is stop thinking about search as only. Google search or Bing search related. It's think about search as audio enabled search, right? And then then how can you get on the train of making sure when someone asks, what is this, right? Your search response is something that is prioritized or included even. And then lastly, I think there is IoT just that's like good for the world. And so I had a, the one study I have in this is a, a client that was in remote healthcare monitoring, but they'd created this pet that was with um, patients. And this pet was not only just comforting them and acted like a real pet, it was also gathering data, right? It was gathering data on their performance, health performance, and then essentially notifying their relatives or their healthcare providers around how they were doing emotionally, how they were doing health-wise, their heart rates, all that information. And so I think when I look at that specific use case for IoT, there's also this monitoring component where you can actually use this data to help improve people's lives. And I'd like to think that's really a huge value add for the marketer who works at a company that has an IoT device that can improve their lives in this way. So I'm a real fan of IoT being used that way. I like that. I like that. So in terms of uh, digital twins, I know it's a very PhD level concept, but again, it's just going to be another headline, right? What are some of the things that you've seen in terms of having a virtual representation of physical objects or even a virtual representation of your customers? And what what are the ways that people can use that? I'm sure you mentioned pulling online and offline and things like that. Have you seen people use digital twins, of course, backed by AI in a way where it can be used to, I don't know, create brand awareness or generate demand or whatever that marketing KPI looks like? Yeah, I look at digital twins as you talked about. The, they're like virtual representations of physical objects or real things, right? So it's like I have one version that's on the internet and I'll explain how I think the world is going to look and my perspective on that and then the real life object. So I like to think that that when it comes to the actual product use case, the digital replicas will actually like integrate real and physical data. So I'll bring up an example. Um, I had a client that I was consulting that had a soul 
um, like a shoe sole, right? And this shoe sole was you could place in any tennis shoe. And what it was doing was gathering data on your steps, on your weight, on the way that you walk, and a whole maybe 40 to 50 different tracking parameters for your physical behavior. And so what this data was then turned into is that as you took more steps, much like step in, it would you verifiable crypto tokens for your movement. And then you also had a virtual shoe or a virtual soul that was enabling you to actually make money while you exercise. But it was the physical replica and the digital replica creating a relationship, right? And having an interconnectedness with your real data, fueling your digital data and your digital data impacting your real data and what you do in real life. And so you, when you look at a lot of major brands, you look at big shoe companies, you look at big, big product direct to consumer companies. I think the most immediate value is when you have a virtual counterpart, how do you make sure that virtual counterpart on your physical product is valuable? Are you going to gamify it? Are you going to use it to create an ecosystem digitally that allows this person to engage and say, I am really happy I have a digital twin or a virtual replica of this thing that I owned? Or else the thing that you'll run into is like, sure, I haven't much like we had in the NFT spiral over the last few years. It's like, sure, I've got NFT. What do I do with it outside of trying to make money off of it? Right. It needs to have utility and it needs to have value. Or else all you're doing is providing, I think, a a digital replica of something that is not very useful. And that's when I think this falls apart. Yeah. I just wish I have an app that can track my eating habits so that the more I eat, the more I get points. (laughs) So I can eat some more. (laughs) Yeah, We're already doing it, right? But imagine now if it was like put into, I was thinking about it the other day. I don't like doing laundry my if my husband ends up listening to this he's going to be like nodding his head and i was like imagine if every time i do laundry my laundry machine sends a notification to an app where i get paid to do laundry how much more would i love doing laundry if i got paid for it so oh my wow yeah it's the applications of that is amazing like Again, people may not be focusing on that right now, but if you're running a digital business, whether it's even B2B or B2C, it's all about strategy, right? At some point, you think up again to your word, Tala, how useful this kind of data can be to help elevate the customer experience moving forward. So if you're listening, you want to Google Digital Twins and have a deck prepped for your boss on Monday. <laughs> a skill for is upon us, so you can get some budget approved. <laughs> Okay, so guys, if you're listening, this has been fun so far. Very revealing. That is the uh, emotional effect for me. And I hope it's the same for you as well. And what I just ask you, the only favor I'm asking you is to subscribe. And aside from subscribing, please give us a review. Not one star, please, but give us any honest review that you can. And what we, what we decided to do at least for the next few months here is we will be re- reading reviews of people that have dropped their reviews already. That will stop very soon because you can only read so much. But here is one that starts with very short. It's titled, Well What a Listen. Says, and I quote, Dot runs a great podcast with tremendous insights for marketers. Yours can just be as short as that. I know everybody's busy. You can even give two words. Well done. 
I'm going to take it. It doesn't matter what it is. And of course, share with your friends, right? It's the weekend. If you're listening here, whether it's the, during the week or the weekend, we are recording the weekend, depending on where you are listening. You can share with your colleagues um, as well. It's free premium knowledge. We are not paying anything. This is not a cost. So it's free, uh, but it's also premium at the same time, which is always what we try to achieve. I have a few more questions. I believe it's two. Uh, for Tala. But before then, we'll be right back very quickly with a commercial break from our sponsor. And when we get back, is the dots rapid fire. Uh, it's a very hot one, but I'm sure Tala can take it. Stay tuned. This episode is brought to you by Listen Network, where podcasts meet their potential. If you're a brand needing podcast episode promotion or podcast follower promotion, Listen Network is here to give you the best in-class analytics, podcast growth attribution, and podcast promotion success. Find out more at www.listennetwork.co. Welcome back. So, it's the Dutch rapid fire. It's either of two things. Pick your poison. It's either the hot kitchen or the marketing cut of law. Either of which, there are three questions where you have to say the truth and nothing but the truth to help you go. Are you ready? Yes, I'm ready. Yes, I know. So, number one, what is your best marketing KPI? And I don't want to hear sales or revenue. Okay, so I have one and then I have three secondary ones. Qualified pipeline, I think, is the goal for any modern marketing team from a B2B perspective. And then following that is revenue growth rate, revenue retention, and expansion, and then your CAC. Those are, I think, the things that can help you make the best decisions. Revenue growth rate, that's interesting. Is there a standard benchmark to look out for or just keep going up like a stock market? <laughs> well, depends on your industry, depends on your fund, like funding. I think there is a different ways to look at whether that growth rate is achieving targets or not. Yeah, makes sense. Interesting. Okay. How long do you use social media every day? And this is not a judgmental question. We are all guilty or innocent, depending on where you are. <laughs> I don't know if this is going to be high or low. I can't. I couldn't tell, but uh, it's two to three hours on average I, uh, every day. I don't know if that's a lot. <laughs> we had a guest that only visits 10 minutes a day. Mine is one hour. I'm just building my brand. So we need to be all over there. Hey, I see you. <laughs> and I don't take coffee. So I'm on YouTube 24-7. I have a subscription separate from YouTube Music just for YouTube uh, Premium. So this is a hard question, though, because it's like, what do you consider social media? Right. And then you uh, get into yeah, a whole. Yeah, like... yeah. I, I don't consider YouTube social media. That's just me. Yeah. LinkedIn, Twitter. Yeah. I consider that social media. You're right. So then you're probably at two to three hours, depending on who you ask. Yes. It's always profitable if you're trying to just. Like you said, we we're speaking off the mic about getting CMOs. It's all about networking, right? So it's never a bad thing. Okay. The last question, what is your favorite marketing quote? Yeah, I think my favorite one is marketing shouldn't feel like marketing. I'm not sure who said it. So I'm sorry if I have misrepresented. I can't remember. I think it's Seth Godin or something. I've heard it before anyway, but go on. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it, it's probably him. He's got all the quotables. But uh, yeah, it, it definitely, it shouldn't feel like when you put content out there, that it feels like you're selling something, it should feel like there is relatability. 
Yeah, yeah. That is the world we are now, especially in the B2B world. Folks like Chris Walker preaching about demand generation, zero click, and why we should not focus on influence revenue. I think a lot of that is already happening in B2C. Like B2C is really where, oh, I've got some budget to test metaverse, whatever. In B2B, it's all about waiting to make money. <laughs> so I, I, but B2B is now learning. So big ups to them, virtual i5 to all b2b marketers out there okay so you mentioned this before and you mentioned some of the benefits the hours right by the way what is an mr what is mr what is the mr mixed reality so yeah i think ar and mr have similar similar implications yeah yeah so mixed okay so i like i just said now d2c brands like i follow the walmart cmo and they had some solutions around how p- people use those things in their shopping experiences and things like that. But B2B, do you see a world? Do you have a dream? If I'm going to go Martin Luther King now, do you have a dream where B2B start to explore these kinds of tools like AR, VR? Imagine in the SaaS world, for example, uh, or in the aviation industry where it's one provider and one vendor and saying this is how you can view this thing, special computing, when that finally becomes mainstream. Do you see a world where B2B can use these tools? Yeah. So I think the B2B use case is really, really big. And I think I'm a little bit biased because when the Microsoft HoloLens first went to market, they didn't sell it to consumers. They created a bunch of content that was partnered with large organizations and larger companies. So They partnered with, I believe it was Case Western University, and it was a medical school, and basically used mixed reality for the medical students to visualize the anatomy of the human body. And they created applications to allow for education and to be a possibility using mixed reality. So I think when you think about the B2B use case, I'd I'd like to think of it as like, there is the very specific use cases, which are if I'm doing construction and if I'm going to hammer here, but I use a mixed reality device to tell me with precision where I need to hammer, is this actually balanced and straight, right? All the things that get layered on top of the real world to provide insight into what you need to be doing in your work life and provide guidance and notifications. I think that's that physical side and physical labor, you will benefit from those use cases. I think though, when you look at SaaS related jobs, or when you look at just productivity use case for B2B, it's like, that's what, let, let me ask you something. Do you have a second screen where you manage your screens? Like, do you have your laptop and then another second or third screen? I, I used to, and I'm considering going back to that. Yeah. And what was the benefit of, of yours to have that second and that third screen? Like what value does it give you? It's good for profiles. So like I said, and I can say that here, I work for Content Allies and Listen Network, two businesses within the same group. What Chrome allows me to do, Chromebook, is that I'm able to use two profiles. But imagine that having different screens. So I have one screen for Content Allies, one screen for the podcast, one screen for my listening network, another screen for freelancing, one screen for WhatsApping my wife, and I have like seven screens. Yeah. And so when you think about the productivity use case, I want you to imagine a mixed reality device 
where you can filter through your screens in a way that enhances your productivity, your eye movements, your gestures can initiate behavior. And right, this this will take an amount of time to get used to, but I think it's not dissimilar from us using seven screens to be productive or five screens to be productive. It's you need to be able to multitask in an environment um, in, in your workplace and having the added visibility on what you can see and touch at any given point in time might enhance your productivity. And so I'd say there is the specific use cases by industry that are valuable. And then there is actually the how does this make people more productive? And how does it save them time to have flexibility with a UI that feels more native and intuitive to them? I like that. I like that thinking. You know, whenever technology, especially this emerging technology, whenever they come out, there's always people or protests, and that's fine. But what someone used to tell me was that when books were invented, people protested. When something comes out, people will just protest and then later, oh yeah, it's not that bad. Many people don't know this, but in 2007, the iPhone had a very bad first quarter, but over time, oh, it's not that bad, you know, the great, then became the greatest tech tool ever made. So it's interesting some of the things you shared here, but I, I don't want to leave you without talking about a little bit about affiliate marketing. Growing up in the media space, I've 13 years in the game now, and even before then, I've been learning from people like Ewen Chia about affiliate marketing and some of those things. It's often seen as a side also. Oh, you work very hard. Why not do this where you can work from home? I don't know if you've seen any of those ads on TikTok. I'm working from home. I'm making $5,000 per day or whatever. They just blow the amount so that you can click and buy their course. So that's the, in my opinion, that is the perception of affiliate marketing. But I know affiliate marketing is a powerful channel for marketing, for marketers. So do you want to just give us a little bit of a summary of what you think and why you think marketers should care about that channel it's not emerging in the sense but it's always evolving right you are you've done a lot of work in the space as well do you want to tell us about what the future is and what are the benefits that we can get from that yeah sure and i think my ex- my current role is really most applicable to this question in the sense that we work with a lot of affiliate marketers and affiliate managers to give them more visibility and transparency. And I think you kind of have this long history of affiliate marketing sort of being the like the like the Darth Vader's of marketing, right? And so it's like just getting clicks and conversion rates to pop off, right? And but I think what my perspective is a little bit different and I think that's partly because I work for a solution that creates transparency. And that was one of its key benefits between the advertiser and the publisher. And so for me, I think Affiliate marketing, what most people don't talk about is that it does democratize choice, right? Let's think about the use case, which is part of our origin story. Well, let's think about the use case where you need a loan and all traditional banks are uh, letting you down, right? Where are you going to find that? And when you think about how the internet works, you search for something, you have the, you maybe land on a site that doesn't belong to a institutional bank. You match your options. You you uh, allow yourself to sort of sift through your options, and you really need that loan. You really need that money. The publisher or affiliate or the website in that case is acting as an intermediary to you finding the right advertiser. And it's the same way with a beauty product, which is right less consequential 
you're looking for a beauty product and that beauty product is maybe emerging. It's maybe new, but you need a bunch of people to help make you make that decision, right? Is this something worthwhile? And, and so I think there is a lot of honesty and transparency that's required. And I think that comes back to is the relationship between the advertiser, the affiliate and the user transparent, right? Are you being transparent about where the user's data is going, what you're showing them, and whether you're being honest and true to the product and the service that they're going to be receiving. But I also think the other thing that it does is it democratizes choice. When people don't know, won't know what to find and look for, affiliate marketing gives them options. It allows them to hear from a peer on TikTok or, you know, hear from an Instagram influencer they really like about what decision they made and why. So I think as long as there's authenticity and honesty, and then you're using technology that provides transparency to all parties involved, you have uh, the best route to being compliant and then also giving the user what they need, right? And and providing for that, especially in a situation where they might need a service urgently, right? Or they might need something that, and they don't have options or they're running out of options. And I think the uh, affiliate is the first person to stand on that front lines and be, be a part of the process of educating the person on the other end. Hmm. Mm, interesting, interesting. Uh, again, if you're listening, you want to explore that if you've got a fit for your industry and it's, it's always got its own benefits and not just in the consumer space, but even uh, when you're dealing with partners on the B2B side as well. Atala, I know we can go on and on, uh, but it's been an amazing conversation with you. Thank you so much for sharing all this very great wisdom. I've learned a lot personally myself as well, despite preparing so much for this episode, which is always the goal. So no matter how much you prepare, the guest wows you more. That is the point of the Marketing Leadership Podcast. So where can future leaders, marketing leaders find you so that they can tap from your CMO anointing? Yeah, you guys can connect with me on LinkedIn and then go give Finexa a follow. Then it's in my profile. But you can also find me chasing my kids in LA on the weekends. Um, and then also at our Finexa headquarters in LA on the weekend. So both, that's my digital twin, right? My digital twin is on LinkedIn and my real self is in LA. Hey, I like that angle there. I like that angle. Guys, that's all we have for you today. It's been an amazing one. More episodes like this that are just as amazing are on my website, dotlovesmarketing.com. But if you don't want the website, just check your favorite podcast platform, whether it's the Apple, Spotify, or YouTube. And you can just search marketing leadership. Hopefully our rankings are going higher there and then you can subscribe. I'd like to thank this week and Listen Network and Content Allies for all their support. We've been recording like crazy. It's been a blast. Till next time, connect the dots. Thank you for listening to the Marketing Leadership Podcast brought to you by Dots Loves Marketing. There will be links to any resources mentioned in today's show notes. If you enjoyed this episode, Please leave a five-star review and be sure to subscribe so you never miss an episode.